In this week's episode, we talk about how to deal with the big worry. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svee. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. And welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svee. I'm your host, Svee Hilsenrath. This week, I'd like to thank everyone in the city of Carlton, Texas, this week's Gratitude City, for listening in. Thank you to everyone for listening in Carlton, Texas. Before we get started, I do want to mention that I will be taking a break next week, so the next episode will be on February 12th. Look for it then. This week's episode is a response to a request I got to talk about how to deal with emotions when dealing with big health issues. So the person said, when it's what you're thinking about 24 hours a day, and you can't do anything but think about it, so it's messing up everything, when it's blocking everything else, darkening the colors of life, and how to deal with it. So first of all, thank you for the question. And this reminds me of a quote, I've heard different versions of it, and that is, may you have a life filled with many worries. It's a blessing. May you have a life filled with many worries. Because when you have many worries or many problems, that means that they're small. It means they're normal life problems. And even though they're problems, they're manageable. It might not seem that way, because problems have a way of feeling unmanageable. But when you have a lot of little worries, they're manageable. But when you have one worry, one problem, and it's so big that now it's taken over your life and blocked out everything else, now your life is unmanageable. This is the big worry or the big problem, capital T, capital B, capital W, or capital P. There's many forms of a big problem, but we're going to talk in the context of medical issues because that's what the person asked the question about. But most, if not all, the techniques we're going to discuss today work for all the different capital B, capital B, big problems of life. So right off the bat, if you feel like you really have depression and anxiety and it's, it's clinical depression and anxiety, please seek a professional therapist and or a medical professional. Um, everything we talk about today will be helpful and sometimes it's enough, but sometimes you need FaceTime with a professional. So whatever we talk about today, keep in mind if it's not working, find a professional who can help. When you face a serious medical condition, so the medical condition itself is only part of the picture. Suddenly, you're faced with how that condition or that illness is affecting all the aspects of your life. Often it limits what you can do physically. Uh, illnesses or big problems eat away at your time, they eat away at your energy, they eat away at your finances. They affect your loved ones as well as yourself, and they affect your relationships with people. And so this one thing starts to affect all the areas of your life. And it often feels like this one thing is dominating your entire life. The big problem starts to take over everything. And as we spoke about in our externalization episode, you now have a relationship with that illness. And the illness is dominating, is controlling that relationship. You might be facing anger or guilt. You might have, why me? Or what did I do to deserve this? Or why is God punishing me? And then you start to push the anger and guilt outward on other people because you can't handle it within yourself. So you push it outward and you start to either be angry at people or you start to guilting people. Um, you might have anxiety and worry about the future, both the short-term future, what's going to happen in the next hour and the next day, or the long-term future, or if there will even be a long-term future. 
grief over the loss of the life that you had, that you loved, or the people that left you as a result of the illness, because that often happens. People often leave physically, literally leave, or emotionally when they're faced with somebody with an illness. So grief over the loss of those people or grief over the loss of your life as you knew it, the one that you loved, that you had, and is now different. That's very common. Catastrophizing or jumping to the worst case scenario and not being able to see other outcomes, just being only able to see the worst possible outcome. We're going to talk about a lot of these different things in more detail a little bit later. Also, powerlessness, you know, feeling like there's nothing you can do, that the situation is hopeless, that whatever power you had over your own life is now gone. Again, when the problem starts to dominate your relationship, the relationship you have with it, you feel powerless over that domination. Often people that are facing big problems such as chronic or sudden medical illness I feel disconnected from other people because how could other people understand what you're going through, right? Nobody else you know is going through this. So how could they understand what you're going through? Often people that face these kinds of illnesses feel a sense of loss of self-identity. The illness is so strong. The problem is so strong in your life that you start to think of yourself as the illness. It becomes a part of who you are and pushes out other stuff that you were. And while I'm talking about this, it also makes me think of the five stages of grief, which are denial, depression, anger, bargaining, and acceptance. And in a different episode, we'll go more into what the five stages of grief are in detail and how to deal with that. But for now, just knowing that these things, when dealing with illness, being in denial of it, feeling depression, feeling anger toward it or toward others, bargaining, Bargaining meaning taking actions that really have no effect, but you pretend that it does have an effect. And finally, acceptance are all normal stages of dealing with illness, dealing with the big problem. And they don't necessarily happen in that order. They're cyclical, meaning they come around, you you go to one piece and then another, denial and then anger, and then back to denial, for example. Um, and just because you have acceptance doesn't mean you'll stay with acceptance. But again, we're going to talk more about the five stages of grief a different time. And all these feelings and all these thoughts that I just mentioned and other things that I haven't mentioned, they're all valid feelings. There's no right and no wrong response to illness because everybody's different. Every illness is different. And how people react to the treatment of the illness, it's all different. Everybody's body is different, and so the way our body and our brain react to the illness and to the treatment of the illness and to how other people treat us because of the illness, everybody goes through a different experience. And so there's no right or wrong way to live through this. Now, how can we address the big problem? So the first thing is be kind to yourself. Allow yourself to feel what you're feeling and don't beat yourself up for feeling your feelings. It's perfectly natural to have feelings, to feel what you're going through, and it's also natural to try and fight those feelings. But instead of fighting them, let them happen. Give yourself time to deal with everything. It's a lot to handle, and no one can deal with all these things overnight. And don't forget that just like the five stages I mentioned before, it's cyclical. So you might be on top of the big problem one day or one hour, but the next day, the next hour, it's on top of you again. And that's normal. And accept that it's normal and don't beat yourself up for not being on top of it. It's okay. Be kind to yourself. 
later on in the process, try and find the positive in the situation, trying to do this right away. And this is often what people that are trying to help do. They try to show you the positive of the, of the situation and you're not ready for it. You're not ready to see the positive. You're not ready to see the silver lining. So be kind to yourself. And when you are ready later on, try to find the positive, try to find that silver lining. For example, maybe this brought you and your loved ones closer together. Cherish that closeness. Next, address your thinking. This is where some cognitive behavioral therapy would come in, uh, maybe ACT, both of which we'll talk about in later episodes. But if you're catastrophizing, for example, first notice it. So catastrophizing, as I mentioned before, is you start from here and you jump to the worst possible outcome. One example of catastrophizing that I think about is I had a client who had a, a bump and it, they, it was a black bump on their their hand, and they immediately went to that it was cancer. They were convinced that it was skin cancer, and it turned out it was just a splinter. But this jumping straight to the cancer, and that they're going to die from skin cancer, is an example of catastrophizing. It's, I will never get better. This is going to destroy the rest of my life. I'm going to die, like immediately going to the worst possible scenario. So the first step, if you're catastrophizing, is notice when you're doing it, and be conscious about noticing when you're doing it. Be mindful about your own thoughts. Next, try and answer yourself in your mind. Stop for a second and find a more positive ending that speaks to you. For example, if a person goes through a medical condition that affects their ability to walk, they might say, I'm never going to walk again. And then you answer with, it's going to take a lot of hard work and adjustment, and I may need help, and I may need some kind of physical support like a walker, but I will walk again. And this two-step process of noticing what your mind is doing and then answering back a more positive scenario, it takes time and practice to get it right. And it takes time and practice for it to become automatic. Again, be kind to yourself. Next, take care of the basics. Take care of yourself. Basic self-care is very important and very easy to overlook. First of all, make sure you're getting enough sleep. More and more research is coming out about the importance of sleep. And in a later episode, we're going to address sleep. But the first thing is, even before we get to that later episode, get enough sleep. I know personally, this is a really hard one for me. I just don't sleep enough. Next, make sure you're eating. And if you're not eating, force yourself to, if you need to. Many medications, as well as depression and anxiety, curb our appetite. Eat anyways. And in addition to eating, eat as healthy as you can eat. Often, not only do we not want to eat, but when we do want to eat, we want to eat that comfort food, that junk food, high carbs, high sugar, high salt. Eat as healthy as you can. Exercise if you can. Meditate if you can. If you know how. If you don't know how, it's probably worth learning. But basic self-care is easily overlooked and super important. Next, don't do this alone. Problems, in this case, uh, the illness, want to dominate your life. They want to cut you off from everyone around you. They want to cut you off from those that can help you and support you. Don't let illness cut you off from your loved ones. Find people who can support you and reach out to them. Even if you feel ashamed, even if you feel like you're being a burden, even if you've reached out to them a million times before, if you find the right support people, take advantage Find somebody who's a good listener, 
Not going to try to convince you to see the silver lining. Not going to try to talk about themselves all the time. Uh, in, a, in an earlier episode, we spoke about the importance of good listening. Find a good listener. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's an in-person support group. By the way, in-person support groups are much more effective than an online support group. Online support groups are great. Nothing against them. But that face-to-face human contact, being in the same room, an in-person support group is just much more valuable. And in time, you will become a support for others. And this is going to bring meaning to your life and illness, and we're going to get to this some more a little bit later in the episode. But in time, don't do this alone becomes I'm doing this to help others. And this whole thing of not being alone in your illness, this part is so important that when I sat down to write my notes for this episode, it's the first thing I wrote down. I wrote down, talk to someone who can listen. The burden is too great to bear alone. So often in life, our problems want to make us think that we need to bear the burden alone. We need to deal with everything alone. And sometimes we can. But usually, when the problem is capital B, capital P, big problem, it's a big worry. We can't do it alone. We need help. And maybe we don't need financial help, maybe we don't need physical help, but we need emotional help. We need to connect to someone else because the burden is too great to bear alone. If there's a financial piece to the illness, address the financial piece. Often, the money piece can overtake all the other parts. Or it's the opposite, it's ignored and it builds up until it's too large. Find out what the financial cost of the illness is, get it on paper so it doesn't eat up your head, and figure out how to deal with it. Turn to people that have experience in dealing with the financial aspect of illness. Utilize those resources. Do some research online, but address the financial piece. And speaking about getting things down on paper, let's talk about journaling. As I've spoken about in the past, one of the reasons that problems take up so much headspace is that our minds are afraid of letting go of thoughts for fear of losing them. And our mind doesn't necessarily... Uh, discriminate against positive or negative thoughts when it's afraid to let go of any of them. And so when we write something down, we give our minds permission to let go of our thoughts. Now, if it's positive thoughts, that's not really a problem. But if it's negative thoughts, it is a problem because when our mind is holding on to them, it doesn't leave us room for anything else. And they build up and they build up and they build up. And our mind doesn't know that these are thoughts we need to let go of. And so when we write them down, we give our mind permission to do just that. Journaling is a great way to get thoughts out of our minds and clear space for other more positive emotions. It loosens the grip problems have in our thoughts. And there's no right way or wrong way to journal. But for me, I always like to start when I'm journaling. I always like to start with negative thoughts until they're all out. Just write it all down. All the negativity, all the darkness, just get it out of my head, get out of my soul and onto the paper. And then sometimes this piece I have to force I write positive, forward-thinking thoughts. Maybe I write a prayer to God. I write about how things will look in the future when things are better. I write about positive things about myself. And so I personally like to go from the dark to the light, but there's no right or wrong way to journal as long as you're doing it. And speaking of as long as you're doing it, one way to do it is to remove all obstacles to journaling. And so have your journal and your pen on hand and in sight. And I 
I want to emphasize that it should be a physical journal, not typing on a computer, not typing on your phone, because the brain does not connect with writing on a computer or on a phone the same way the brain connects with writing by hand. And we've spoken about this in the past, and we'll probably speak more about it in the future, has to do with the different part of the brain that is used in those two different activities. But specifically when it comes to journaling, it's much more effective to write by hand. Neatness doesn't count, spelling doesn't count, than to type it on a computer or a phone. Another way to help battle the big problem is to find meaning in your suffering. In a later episode, we're going to talk about man's search for meaning. I know I keep talking about stuff we're going to talk about in later episodes, but there's so many things I want to talk about that we haven't covered. Uh, So Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, the book, will be discussed in a later episode. But finding meaning in our suffering, as he points out in the book, can help us through unimaginable pain and suffering. And to touch back on our Lonely Man of Faith episode, illness may force us out of our active Adam 1 physical role and into our Adam 2 ontological spiritual role. And so try and find a connection to something greater than yourself. I've met with many people because I work in places where people really struggle with illnesses. I've met with many people who have come closer to God through their illness. Now, many people have the opposite reaction. Many people get further from God. But I find that people that have been through serious illness and come out the other side more often than not develop a strong relationship to some form of higher power, somebody that they can connect to, some spiritual experience. Another way of finding meaning in your suffering, we mentioned this before, is to help others become a peer support when you're ready, not right away, but when you're ready. And one of the reasons that helps is it helps you get out of your own head and it brings meaning to what you've been through and are going through. So it's not just pointless suffering. People have a hard time with pointless suffering, but meaningful suffering can be not only endured, but can lift us up. Now, don't be put off by setbacks. Be ready for them. Setbacks are going to happen. Rarely is recovery from illness a straight line up. This is true in physical illness. It's true in mental illness. Rarely is recovery a straight line up. Setbacks happen. Be prepared for them. Be prepared mentally. Be prepared physically. Enjoy the recovery. Enjoy the parts that go well, but don't let the setbacks bring you down. And often what happens with setbacks is you're doing well, and then the setback happens, and you go right back to catastrophizing, as we spoke about before. Right back to that dark place where everything's wrong, and it's never going to be good, and it's going to be the worst. So watch out for it. It's, It's likely to happen. And the bedrock you lay down on the course of your recovery, taking care of all the things that we're talking about now, will keep you going when the setbacks happen. And it's why consistency and self-care is so important. Because the more you do it consistently, when the setback happens, not only will you rebound faster, but you won't fall as low as you would have if you didn't have that bedrock down. As I mentioned before, like any problem in your life, you have a relationship with your illness and you control your part of that relationship. When we did the externalization episode, we spoke a lot about this. I'm not going to get too much into it. You can listen to that episode. It's great. So take the time to do it. But just like any relationship in your life with other people, you control your part of that relationship. You control your part of the relationship you have with illness. Another thing, a sense of humor helps. 
And don't be ashamed if it's a dark sense of humor. As I mentioned in the past, I do a lot of work in nursing homes. And that's a field that pretty much only deals with people in various stages of illness and infirmity. And most of the people, the staff, that last have a good, often dark, sense of humor. It's how they survive. And one of the reasons is problems don't like being laughed at. Problems like to be taken seriously. And laughter, being able to laugh at the problem and the actual physical act of laughing, helps ease the grip of the problem. It provides space around the problem. And when you can laugh at a problem where you don't take it so seriously, often ways of dealing with the problem that were blocked in the past suddenly become available. And that touches on the episode we did on fun with when we spoke about the work of Bernie DeCoven. When you have a playful attitude towards life, when you're able to laugh at life, even though it's a big problem that you're facing, suddenly avenues that you never thought open become open because they were always open. You just never saw them. Your eyes were blocked by the big problem. Another thing that can help is to take a break from it all. Go for a walk. Get together with a friend. Go get some coffee. Go see some great art in a museum. Go outside and look at the stars and the moon, maybe with a telescope. Give yourself permission to take a break from it all. Give yourself a mini vacation. Even if it's just for an hour, for two hours, for a day. And when the problem tries to come in, which it will, when the problem tries to come in, gently remind it that you're on your break. It really works. You say to yourself, I went to the problem. I'm on my break. I'll come back to you. But for now, I'm on my break. Leave me alone. Gently. On my break. And sometimes if you go with somebody else on your break, this break may turn into a meaningful, vulnerable, gentle conversation about the illness and how it affects you. And this conversation is coming from your inner self. It's coming from the light inside of you. It's not coming from the big worry. It's not coming from the big problem because that's a different kind of conversation. When it comes from that gentle inner light inside of you, those conversations are open and vulnerable and meaningful and healing and transformative. I'm often surprised in my own work. Sometimes I have clients that are so shut down by problems that all we can do is we can For a few weeks, all we can do is we can play a game. We'll play cards or chess or something. At this point, I shouldn't be surprised anymore, but I'm usually surprised how often the most meaningful and transformative and healing conversations happen during these games, when people's guards are down, when they're focused on something else, and the problem almost leaves them alone for a little bit and opens up a space for them to let their inner light out. And speaking of taking a break from it all, maybe try and learn something new. Look, if you're going to be out of work for a little while, if you're going to be spending time in doctor's waiting rooms, use that time to improve yourself or your mind or your skills. You know, it's easy to waste that time on television or the internet and social media, YouTube. All those things require very little energy and demand very little of you. But that becomes just that wasted time. I'm not saying you shouldn't relax. I'm not saying that some television or internet or or whatever is not fine. I'm just saying if you're going to be spending a lot of time, maybe try to use that time productively. I met one woman who used the time in doctor's offices to knit sweaters for all of her grandchildren. She spent a lot of time in waiting rooms, 
And instead of watching the television, she just had the only time she knit was there. She didn't knit any other time. And she used the time to knit sweaters for all her grandchildren. And this also goes back to trying to take this experience and using it to make meaning out of it. This is another way to make meaning out of the experience. Another thing I like to think about in dark times, in dark times in general, is how useful the serenity prayer is. Now, the serenity prayer comes from the world of addiction, but it's seeped into popular culture. And for those who don't know it, the serenity prayer is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Those are very, very deep words. And in a later episode, we'll get more into it. But think about it. Grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can. Don't be afraid to take all the actions you can. Figure out what you can do and then find the courage to do it. And sometimes courage comes from doing something even though you don't think you can, even though you don't think you have the courage to, but doing it anyways, you find that you have more courage and more strength than you think. Often, that means making that first doctor's appointment, going to that appointment. These things are scary. Just do them and you will find the courage to do them. And once you've found the courage and taken all the action, let go of everything you can't control. It's hard. It's hard to let go of all these things. It's hard to let go of whatever outcome of whatever actions you've taken. But with practice, you can keep letting it go. Again, I want to reiterate that if you're facing serious anxiety and depression, get professional help. Even if it's short-term help, there are specialists who help people struggling with exactly what you're struggling with. Find one. Get the help you need. And finally, I'm going to end how I started. Be kind to yourself. The problem won't want you to be kind to yourself. So do it anyways. You're going through a hard time. And it's easy to let the big problem turn you against yourself. Second-guessing everything you do, obsessing over every thought you have, worrying over every outcome, draining the color from life. Be kind to yourself. You are braver, stronger, better, funnier, and kinder than you believe yourself to be. Be kind to yourself. Thank you to the person that sent in the question. I really appreciate it. They wish to remain anonymous, and I'm going to respect that. Thank you to everyone that listens to all these episodes. I really appreciate it. Watching the numbers every week come in for how many people listen to the episodes, it's, it's amazing to me. And I know it keeps saying it, but it keeps being true. It really encourages me to keep going. Thank you to everyone that's been sharing this on social media. Somebody sent me a picture of somebody else's social media account that they are sharing it, somebody I don't even know. So thank you to everyone that does that. That's really appreciated. Uh, I will be on break next week, so the next episode is going to be on February 12th. And until next time, go out, believe in yourself. Mm-hmm.